Hello and welcome. This is Bill Van Arsdell for Radio I. Today I will be reading from the AARP Bulletin and Magazine dated May 22, 2022. As a reminder, Radio I is a reading service intended for people who are blind or have other disabilities that make it difficult to read printed material. The first story is Eight Simple Habits to Make You Happier. Easy Ways to Spark Joy Today. Life in the 2020s has been rough, with waves of COVID-19 and other world-disrupting crises coming one after another. We could all use a little cheer right now. Luckily, daily opportunities for joy are there for the taking, experts in the art of happier living say. We often view happiness as this kind of passive experience determined by good things that may happen to us or things that may not happen to us says psychologist Scott Glassman, author of A Happier You, a seven-week program to transform negative thinking into positivity and resilience. But, he adds, we can and should make bliss happen every day. Your happiness muscles can atrophy, Glassman warns, if you don't use them. Here are eight ways to flex those muscles. One, greet the dawn. Sunsets are awe-inspiring, but sunrises are special in additional ways, says neuroscientist Morton Kringlebach, a researcher at the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom and Aarhus University in Denmark. One of the things that really brings me joy is to get up before dawn and watch the dawn come, he says. I think dawn has this magical quality whereby we come to realize that life is cyclical and that things will basically follow the same rhythms, but there will be something new, there will be something joyful. Getting up with the dawn can also help us get into a rhythm in which we sleep when it's dark and feel alert when it's light, improving both sleep and well-being, Kringlebach explains. Two, go outside and make an image in your mind. Spending time in nature, whether you are hiking through a forest or sipping coffee on your patio, is a proven mood booster. If you feel truly connected with nature, the mental health benefits are even greater, research shows. One way to boost that connection is to find something that attracts you, a flower, a hillside, a sound, and make a mental image of it. You can draw it or you can think about it. The key is to open yourself to experience by allowing yourself to see things for what they are. Three, talk to a stranger. A sense of connection to others boosts happiness, even if we don't know the people whom we are connecting with very well or at all, research reveals. In one famous study, people who went to a coffee shop and made an effort to connect with the barista with a smile, eye contact, and a little chit-chat got a mood boost not experienced by those who just went in and got their job. Bonus, the employees probably experienced a mood improvement, too. Four, get an ice cream cone with a friend. A sweet treat, a delicious meal, or a perfectly crafted cappuccino can add a little pleasure to your day. But you can get a bigger sense of elation by sharing the treat, suggests Laurie Santos, a professor of psychology at Yale University and host of the Happiness Lab podcast. Being around other people when we're engaging in enjoyable activities can make those activities better, she says. 
For one thing, we might talk about how much we are enjoying the ice cream or the meal or the coffee drink, enhancing our mutual appreciation. But, Santos says, research shows that just seeing someone else experience pleasure increases our own, even if we don't say a word about it. Five, smell a fresh towel or some cinnamon or a lemon. Gretchen Rubin, author of several books on happiness, says that engaging your senses is a way to connect anew with the world and spark a little joy. Sense can be particularly evocative, she says. The fact that so many people temporarily lost their sense of smell or feared losing it during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic may make the comfort of scent even stronger these days, Rubin says. Taking a moment to really smell something ties us to the present moment and the experience of our bodies, leaving us more energized and engaged. One of her favorite scents, a hardware store. Six, play a kid's game or an adult version. Something that is crucial to everyday happiness is finding more playmates and play spaces in which you can let down your guard and where you find yourself laughing a lot says Catherine Price, author of The Power of Fun, How to Feel Alive Again. Play isn't just for kids, and doesn't have to be childish, she says. But Glassman, the psychologist, says if you struggle to lighten up and have fun, it can help to ask yourself, if I were a child right now, what would I be doing? The answers might include playing a board game, doing some coloring, or going to a playground. You might choose the same versions kids do, say, a rousing game of apples to apples or Pictionary, for example, or versions reinvented for adults, such as coloring books featuring complex geometric designs or playgrounds outfitted with strength training equipment. Seven, try swing dancing or snowboarding or axe throwing. Price says those are among the activities she's tried alone or with her husband to find fresh sources of fun and bursts of happiness. Trying new things that you are not very good at can be hilarious, she says, if you go into them with a carefree attitude. She suggests trying any activity that piques your curiosity. If you don't come away with a new passion, Price adds, you may at least collect a funny story. Don't underestimate the power of a good laugh. It can reduce stress and trigger the release of feel-good hormones, studies show. Eight. Gaze at a baby, a puppy, or an axolotl. As parents and grandparents know, holding, gazing upon, and smelling a baby can trigger feelings of delight. Those sentiments are so hardwired into human brains that we can get similar bursts of good feeling from interacting with creatures that share baby-like traits, such as puppies and kittens, Kringlebach says. It's like a lock and a key, he says. No babies, puppies, or kittens in sight? Krimmelbach suggests going online and searching for photos of an axolotl, a cute baby-faced salamander, taken by photographer Tim Flack. The result, he said, should bring joy to your face. And the next article is Six Ways to Keep Your Cool When You're Angry. We're madder than ever. Experts suggest healthy ways to handle frustration. Will Smith may have landed a slap at the 2022 Oscar ceremonies that was seen and heard around the world, 
But most of us have also found ourselves in situations where our anger was simply too hot for us to handle. In fact, it was a phenomenon we were experiencing even before the pandemic. A 2019 poll found that 84% of Americans thought the country was angrier than it was a generation ago, with over 40% confessing that they were angrier in the previous 12 months than they'd been in years. Similarly, a 2021 American Psychological Association Stress in America survey found that 84% of Americans reported experiencing emotions associated with prolonged stress, with almost 40% of them saying they felt anger. There's a sense of increased frustration. While COVID-19 was part of it, it was there even before the pandemic, says Bernard Golden, a Chicago psychotherapist and founder of Anger Management Education. But holding on to this rage isn't good for either your mental or physical health. In fact, it's been linked to high blood pressure, heart disease, chronic pain, and stroke. The effects are particularly pronounced in older adults. A 2019 study published in the journal Psychology and Aging found that anger may be more harmful to older individuals' physical health than sadness. How to let it out safely. One, try not to vent. If you're furious, your first instinct might be to call your spouse or other loved one and let your emotions rip. But that action has the opposite effect. The worst thing you can do is express anger. It's like using gasoline to put out a fire, says Brad Bushman, professor of communications at Ohio State University. Research done by Bushman has actually found that angry people instructed to punch a punching bag and think about what enraged them stayed more enraged than those who didn't. Those who thought about something distracting, like becoming physically fit while punching the bag, reported being less angry than those who punched while thinking of the person who angered them. When you vent, you keep your arousal levels high, your blood pressure and heart rate stay elevated, and you ruminate about what made you angry which keeps aggressive thoughts alive, he explains. Is it ever okay to talk your anger out with someone? Yes, Bushman says, if it's with the goal of solving the problem. You need to focus on solutions rather than just venting, he says. If you find that you're just rehashing the incident over and over, you need to cut the conversation off and do something else. Two, take some deep breaths. Inhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four, and exhale for a count of six. This slows down your heart rate, which in turn helps your body relax, explains Golden. To make it more effective, he recommends that you repeat a pair of words like stop-go or green light-red light. These types of mindfulness-based exercises have been shown to be very effective. A 2017 study published in the journal Mindfulness, for example, found that more mindful individuals had better heart rates and lower blood pressure during conflict. Three, check in with your anger. Take a moment to rate your anger using a scale of one to 10, advises Stephen Danzinger, a Los Angeles psychotherapist and author of Mindfulness for Anger Management. This helps redirect your brain from an emotional response to a logical response, he says. It can also help you determine if there's real cause for your anger or you are overreacting. 
If after checking in, your rage is a six or higher, walk away from the situation, he advises. You don't want this to turn into a nine, he says. Four, fill out an anger log. Golden often asks his clients to fill out an anger log after they've calmed down to get in touch with the types of situations that trigger anger for them, including the thoughts and feelings that precede and follow the event. It can make you more skillful at altering the course of anger progression by giving you information about where you get stuck, Golden explains. It also gives you a way to judge your emotions less harshly. Anger itself can be a sign of depression, Golden adds. An anger log provides a tool to help you recognize if your rage is a sign of underlying pain that needs to be addressed. Five, eat something. Believe it or not, a need to nosh could be the real cause of your ire, a phenomenon often described as hangry, says Danziger. Here's why. When your blood sugar gets too low, it triggers the release of stress hormones, such as cortisol and adrenaline, he explains. These chemicals help rebalance your blood sugar, but they can also make you more aggressive. While you don't want to raid the vending machine as a way to decrease your rage, Danzinger does recommend that you indulge in a healthy snack, like a handful of nuts or a piece of fruit, rather than lashing out. Six, exercise. Aerobic exercise, like going for a brisk walk, is very effective at reducing anger. Research has shown that the more physically fit people are, the less prone they are to rage. It also helps raise levels of brain chemicals, such as endorphins, which boost mood, Golden points out. Just remember that it's not a panacea. A small 2019 study published in the journal Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise found that a 30-minute moderate to intense workout did reduce anger among men prone to flying off the handle. But the emotions returned later, although hopefully by then the subjects had more time to process them. The hope is once you've calmed down enough, you can come up with strategies to turn your anger into something productive, explains Golden. What to do if you're at the receiving end? If someone flies off the handle at you, it can be frustrating, even terrifying. But there are ways to de-escalate the situation. The first step is to walk away if you can, says Golden. If you can't, talk in a quiet voice. Don't say calm down, which is an often well-meaning phrase, but can antagonize someone, advises Pauline Wallen, a psychologist in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Don't try to argue back or prove your point. Instead, tell them that you realize that they are upset and that you will sit down and talk with them when they are ready. Once they have calmed down, you can have a discussion, says Wallen. Oftentimes, this is enough to decrease tension. But if it doesn't, or if it happens frequently, it's a red flag that you are in an unhealthy situation, Golden says. Your loved one may need anger management counseling, and you may need to seek help as well. The next story is Last Week in History, a look at the people, events, and popular culture that shaped our lives. May 22nd, Johnny Carson signs off The Tonight Show. 1992.
When you think back to Johnny Carson's final days on The Tonight Show, you might remember that emotional scene in which Bette Midler sang One for My Baby and One More for the Road as Carson looked on, teary-eyed. Midler and Robin Williams were Carson's final guests, though they actually appeared on his penultimate episode as host on May 21st. On his final show, the next night, Carson had no guests and instead presented a retrospective of clips from his 30 years at the helm of The Tonight Show. He finished the episode seated on a stool in the center of the stage and offered his emotional farewell. And so it has come to this. I uh, am one of the lucky people in the world. I found something I always wanted to do, and I have enjoyed every single minute of it. I want to thank the people who've shared this stage with me for 30 years. Mr. Ed McMahon, Mr. Doc Severinsen, and you people watching. I can only tell you that it has been an honor and a privilege to come into your homes all these years and entertain you. And I hope when I find something that I want to do and I think you would like and come back, that you'll be as gracious in inviting me into your home as you have been. I bid you a very heartfelt good night. The next day, NBC estimated that 55 million Americans had tuned in to watch Carson's final episode, making it the most watched late night episode in TV history. The previous record holder, the December 17, 1969 episode of The Tonight Show, in which the falsetto voiced singer Tiny Tim married Miss Vicky. The next article is What is Monkeypox? A case of the rare disease has turned up in the U.S. Here's what to know. The Massachusetts Department of Public Health confirmed on Wednesday that a state resident who had recently traveled to Canada by private transportation was infected with the monkeypox virus. It is the first case reported this year in the U.S. and is among a handful reported recently outside Central and Western Africa. While the COVID-19 pandemic has us all more alert to viral outbreaks, health officials say the monkeypox infection found in Massachusetts does not represent a public health threat. For now, they are working to identify individuals who may have been in contact with the patient while he was infectious. This contact tracing approach is the most appropriate, given the nature and transmission of the virus. The case poses no risk to the public and the individual is hospitalized and in good condition, the state's health department announced. The United Kingdom has identified nine cases of monkeypox this month. In the U.S., two cases were identified in 2021 in adults from Texas and Maryland who had recently traveled to Nigeria, according to the Massachusetts health officials. What is it? A relative of smallpox and cowpox the monkeypox virus was first discovered in 1958, when two outbreaks of a pox-like disease occurred in colonies of monkeys kept for research, according to the Center for Genome Sciences at the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. The first human case was recorded in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The largest U.S. outbreak of monkeypox occurred in 2003 when 47 cases were reported in the Midwest among individuals who became ill after having contact with pet prairie dogs that had been housed near a shipment of small mammals from Ghana. Tests confirmed that among those mammals, two African giant pouched rats 
nine dormice, and three rope squirrels were infected with monkeypox virus, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. What are the symptoms? Monkeypox symptoms typically begin about a week or two after infection, according to the CDC. Early symptoms include fever, headache, muscle aches, backache, swollen lymph nodes, chills, exhaustion. Soon after experiencing a fever, typically within one to three days, but sometimes longer, people infected with monkeypox develop a rash, often beginning on the face, then spreading to other parts of the body. As with smallpox, pimples form that become pus-filled and leave pockmarks upon healing. Most infections last two to four weeks. How does it spread? You can get the virus through exposure to an infected animal or person. Animal-to-human transmission may occur by bite or scratch, bushmeat preparation, direct contact with body fluids or lesion material, or indirect contact with lesion material, such as through contaminated bedding, the CDC reports. Human-to-human transmission is thought to occur primarily through large respiratory droplets inhaled during prolonged face-to-face -face contact. Other human-to-human methods of transmission include direct contact with body fluids or lesion material and indirect contact with lesion material, such as through contaminated clothing or linens, according to the CDC. Am I at risk? Unless you're traveling outside the U.S. or come in direct contact with an infected person, you are at little risk of developing monkeypox, according to health officials. Still, there are things you can do to reduce your risk if you plan to travel in West and Central Africa, according to the United Kingdom's National Health Service. Wash your hands regularly with soap and water or an alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Eat only meat that has been thoroughly cooked. Don't go near wild or stray animals, either alive or dead, or animals that appear sick. Don't touch meat from wild game. And avoid people who are sick or may have monkeypox and don't share bedding or towels with them. And the next story is, should you eat full fat or low fat dairy? You probably remember that back in the 1980s, fat was routinely vilified. But over the last three decades, the fat-free trend seems to have largely gone the route of big hair and leg warmers, as more and more medical professionals have realized the importance of healthy fats found in foods such as olive oil, nuts, seeds, and avocados. But there's one area of nutrition where the low-fat fad still seems to reign, dairy. While national health organizations, like the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, seem to be adopting a more laid-back attitude toward fat, they still recommend that you stick to skim or low-fat versions of dairy as do the 2015-2020 to 2020 Dietary Guidelines for Americans. It's true that unlike the healthy monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats found in olive oil, oily fish, and nuts, the saturated fat in dairy products can contribute to heart disease risk, points out Mario Kratz, a Seattle nutrition researcher and founder and director of Nourished by Science. But a review published by Kratz also found that people who eat full-fat dairy are no more likely to develop heart disease and type 2 diabetes 
than those who stick to low-fat or fat-free dairy. In fact, some studies have even suggested that when it comes to preventing weight gain, full-fat dairy is the way to go. AARP's Whole Body Reset book recommends eating four to five dairy foods two to three times a day and not to shy away from full-fat products. But that doesn't mean you should necessarily load up on butter and ice cream, Kratz cautions. Here's a closer look at what the research shows and what the experts recommend. The research on low-fat versus full-fat dairy goes well beyond weight loss and type 2 diabetes. A study done by Kratz published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2021 looked at 72 patients with metabolic syndrome, a cluster of conditions that raise the risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and stroke, and found that a diet rich in full-fat dairy, at least three servings a day, had no effect on blood pressure or cholesterol compared to a diet limited in dairy or rich in low-fat dairy. Another study, published in 2016 in the journal Circulation, tracked more than 3,300 adults over 15 years and found that those who had the highest blood levels of certain fatty acids found in full-fat dairy had a 44% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes than those with the lowest. Why is still unclear, although the researchers do speculate that certain molecules found in dairy fatty acids, known as gangliosides, or even the vitamin D in dairy products themselves, could play a role. One concern with full-fat dairy is that high saturated fat levels may not bode well for older adults. But a 2018 study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition followed nearly 3,000 adults aged 65 and older for more than 20 years. Those with higher fatty acid levels associated with a higher consumption of whole-fat dairy products had a lower risk of death from all causes, as well as a lower risk of heart disease. I think what all these studies together say is that we need to stop making blanket recommendations such as avoid full-fat dairy because it's high in saturated fat, says Dariush Mazafarian, a cardiologist and dean of the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy, who has authored several studies on the health effects of full-fat dairy. The bottom line when it comes to dairy, rather than get hung up on whether to consume full-fat or low-fat products, keep three points in mind. One, focus on fermented dairy. Not all dairy is created equal. There may be more of a health benefit to eating fermented dairy products, such as cheese and yogurt, and drinking fermented milk products, such as kefir, says Mosafarian. Research shows that the consumption of these forms of dairy lower risk of both death and cardiovascular disease, possibly because these foods are also rich in probiotics, a type of good bacteria that lives in your gut. Two, indulge in full-fat dairy no more than once a day. There's not enough evidence to recommend reduced-fat dairy products over whole-fat products, but there's also not enough research to definitively say that whole-fat is better, Mazafarian stresses. That's why, until there's more research, it may be prudent to continue to eat low-fat or fat-free dairy, but allow yourself the luxury of one full-fat version of dairy a day, recommends Kratz. And three, don't stress if you have trouble digesting dairy. If you are lactose intolerant, 
Mosafarian recommends that you stick to dairy products that are naturally lower in lactose, such as hard cheeses and yogurt. And this concludes the reading of the AARP Magazine and Bulletin. We hope you found these articles interesting and informative, and if you have any questions or comments about this broadcast, please call Radio I at 859-422-6390. Your reader has been Bill Van Arsdell. Next, please stay tuned for Health Corner on Radio I.